The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. I am Emily Swallow, also known as the Armorer on The Mandalorian. And I'm just giving a little shout out to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast because this is the way. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 96. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a dead. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hi everyone, I'm Thomas Sanherho. I have been recently dubbed Ronan. I love it. It's so awesome. One of our <laughs> listeners wrote in and said, you should all have nicknames. And and he gave us all nicknames and mine was Ronan. And I'm like, yes, that's so great. Um, so you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, <laughs> where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away, including the deeper themes and meanings. But before we begin, uh, we'd still love to hear from you guys uh, with questions that you'd like to know about our panelists. Uh, we're coming up on our 100th episode and we would love to hear from you. What do you want to know about us? What do you want to know about our Star Wars interests? What do you want to know about our other general nerdinesses? Uh, we all like talking about all sorts of uh, really geeky things. So it's fantastic. Email us questions or you can send some audio feedback that we could play on the show. And we would love to include that in that 100th episode that's coming up pretty quickly here. I also wanted to give you a heads up that next week we are going to be covering our Halloween special, which is the Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales movie. It's also available on Disney Plus. And if you'd like to keep up with us, that's our next step. So we're going to take a little detour from the Visions to go do our Halloween uh, show. And then we're going to come back to Visions afterwards. So they're awesome. I know uh, I'm super excited about the next one, especially, but we're going to put it on pause for just a week and do our Halloween uh, episode. But that brings us back to Visions. Today, we're going to be discussing the Visions episode, The Village Bride. And joining me on the panel is Angela Ciolana. Hi, Angela. Hey there. Hey there. Yes, I am not the village bride. I am a bride, um, but I am here. So let's talk. It's good. It's good to have you. Um, I, a couple of news bits that I saw that are really cool this week. Uh, we were just talking before the show about the music from this episode, and uh, they're releasing soundtracks for uh, like a digital soundtrack Yay. for Star Wars Visions, which is fantastic. Um, I think it's going to be great. You can rock out to Tatooine Rhapsody without having to listen to <laughs> 10 hours of it on YouTube, right? <laughs> But all the music's been so good from these episodes. Like, it's yeah. really uh, a lot of good homage to the good old-fashioned uh, John Williams music, but then some really great uh, pieces that set these uh, visions apart from the Star Wars universe in their own special way. And then the other one that I thought was really cool is Lucasfilm announced a new segment on their Star Wars uh, Kids YouTube channel, and it's called Star Wars Galaxy of Creatures. So you get to go on a safari uh, and explore the creatures of the galaxy of Star Wars, which is super awesome. Looking forward to sharing that one with my kids. <laughs> yeah, that's tons of fun. <laughs> so those should be really good. All right. So on to the Visions episode. Um, what were your initial impressions of this one? Dude, so my initial impressions were like, wow, I was 
so blown away by how much they crammed into these 18 minutes of amazingness. Um, This was an anime style that I feel like I'm most accustomed to um, because, you know, I'm not an aficionado of (laughs) anime, Um, but I felt like, you know, this one one was a lot more familiar. Um, And also the Star Wars storytelling that I felt like was... I guess resonating the most with me Mm. um, and the themes and the ways that the story was actually told. So certainly we'll be talking about that, but I was really blown away. I think it's probably my favorite so far. I I would be completely inclined to agree with you on that. This, this one just, uh, they knocked it out of the park with this one. And and like you said, how much they crammed into just 18 minutes and it didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel uh, it didn't feel like anything was missing, really, except that I want an entire movie. You know, that's this yeah. this style and this story. I want to see everything fleshed out. Um, but yeah, I loved it. And and then it was that really neat. Um, every once in a while, you get an anime that's really good about telling multiple stories at once. And yes. as a viewer, you have a hard time focusing on any given story and that's kind of the point like you you mm-hmm. you just realize that everyone has a life in this anime and even even the secondary characters feel much more robust because of that and so that that was kind of the way this one approached the storytelling and i loved that about it absolutely i totally agree yeah so um I'm I'm going to be honest and say that since uh, since I'm kind of filling in for Father Andrew and this was a more of a last minute fill in, I don't have a blow by blow. So I, I think let's just talk about the themes of this one. And there's more than enough that's going to carry us through kind of everything that was happening with the show. Sure, sure. Um, so I, I think to start off with, it's a very different style than any of the other ones that we've seen yet. And I love that it opened up traditional Star Wars, like 100 percent in the stars with the pan mm-hmm. down, a, a ship comes down to the planet. And even the music at the very beginning yes. is traditional Star Wars music. Yeah, it was the first two notes of the Force theme um, that got me. And it was in that brass setting um, that John Williams did so well. Uh, so I was totally like, I was expecting the next few notes to come, but it was nice to start with very familiar. And then it's like, nope, we're in this new thing. Mm-hmm. And so that was exciting too. But yeah, totally. I, that was the first thing that I wrote down was Starfield, ship, planet. Right. <laughs> first two <laughs> notes of the force theme. I'm in. <laughs> it's the perfect Star Wars formula right there. <laughs> And, and and then it opens up to something completely new, right? So we get this uh, this guy who's, it almost looks like he's holding a lightsaber at first. And I love how they start off mm-hmm. with that. And then they do that little subversive, nope, it just pops open and it's like a scanning tool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, um, and, and then he's got this bucket on his head. So it's like, is this guy a droid? Is he a cyborg? What's going on? And then as, as things unfold, he takes the helmet off and we see that it's just a guy with this really fancy... Uh, exploration gear on uh but it's really neat because it like it does kind of touch into that um that star wars stuff here's all the familiar stuff you know and now we're going to take it and just shift it a little bit off and Mm -hmm. and the the pace that they do it in this show is so great because we start there and then these two characters who are very familiar very sci-fi 
turn around and look up the hill and they see these other two characters who are in a very unfamiliar, uh, not sci-fi type of of relationship and situation. Yeah. And, you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about how we are new to this planet. We're new to these people. We're new to everything. And we start off with these two characters who are also kind of new in a way um, that the situation is new for them. Like the explorer guys, you um, described him. He is, he's studying the planet. It's apparently new to him. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he is studying this. And then the Padawan who comes in, she is new to this planet as well. She just flew in. We just flew in with her. Right. And so it's kind of neat that we are starting this story kind of in their perspective. And then we look to, as you were saying, those folks who have always been here, have always been at the on this planet, and they have long roots and history on this planet. And so that was very Star Wars, um, to get those natives from the planet, you know, all those good, usually it's like a creature or something, mm-hmm. but here it was humanoids. And also starting off with that theme of exploring the planet in terms of the relationship with nature. That yeah. is um, very Star Wars and George Lucas as well. So that just really led into the next, you know, themes that we got from those other two characters. Right. And and this is the village bride and the the groom. And I thought it was interesting, like reading the subtitles, because I, I, I did like you were uh, doing with this one. I watched the Japanese first and mm-hmm. it was it was funny watching the subtitles because they were because it only has the closed caption subtitles. So they were like yeah. identifying the characters while they were talking in there. And so you got a little bit more information earlier than you necessarily should have but it was it was kind of cool to have that too as you're going through and being able to pick up on things uh but yeah you get this this image of this uh groom carrying his bride up this hill and it it seems almost uh cruel that he's having to carry her until they start the conversation with each other and they're talking about what they're doing and you see this care this this real uh, devotion between the two of them and she mentions that she would rather be walking but he mentions that she can't have dirty feet for what they're about to go and do and the music at this point is just mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous it's this vocal uh you know this choral uh backdrop music and it reminded me of kind of where the duel of the fates went in the uh, episodes one, two, and three, well, episode, episode one, Phantom Menace, uh, because that was the first time we'd really heard choral music in mm-hmm. Star Wars. And so it was really good here because it's as opposed to being like really, really dramatic, it pulls us into this kind of intimate relationship. And it was such a great piece. Yeah. And so I was totally blown away by that as well. And I was wondering, first of all, what language is that? Because it sounded like maybe Gaelic, like I have an Irish background. If you've been listening to the podcast long enough, you know that. And uh, I was like, "Mm, I don't know Gaelic, but let's go check it out. So um, I guess this wasn't in the credits, but I found out that the music was done by a guy named Kevin Penkin. And um, apparently a prolific composer for Japanese um, productions. And um, he actually had a uh, woman by the name of Emmy Evans uh, write the lyrics for this, which were in chaos language. So just gibberish. 
Um, and uh, she also sung that. Um, and so it was the soundtrack was recorded in Sydney and Tokyo. Um, Emmy Evans is half Japanese, by the way. And she's known for um, singing also in an RPG called Near, I believe. Oh, N-I-E-R. Cool. Um, that was remastered, um, re-released this year, but it was released originally in 2010. Um, so yes, amazing music, um, credit to all those folks that, um, that put it together. But, um, again, we're, it's bringing us into the world. It's world building. It's giving us this sense that not only is it kind of this mystical thing that they're going into, right? Cause they're going up a mountain which in storytelling you know in the bible and so many you know um mythical stories and language you see a mountain as significant of going to a sacred place going up to this mountaintop experience Mm -hmm. you know we say a lot of times um and then you have the choral music which you know, this beautiful, almost angelic sounding thing. And it's almost like, you know, the sacredness of the moment. Mm-hmm. They said that they were, they were going to a sacred place, but even if they didn't, I think we could kind of feel that just by the way that we were led into this next scene. Right. And then the, the undertones of what they're saying uh, are so haunting in that too, because, you know, mm-hmm. they're talking about wishing that their parents could have been there and that both of their parents both of their sets of parents are gone and then they they start off with the memory thing and that's the the whole theme of this is memory and and mm-hmm. they do such a beautiful job all the way through of painting uh what memory does to all of these characters and uh you know they they mentioned that uh between the two of them between the groom and the and the bride uh that the that the the parents are there in this memory and we start to get a name for the memory thing as they get to the top of the mountain and they start their ritual. And um, I thought that was just really like it, the undertones are so good and the, the foreshadowing because you only have 18 minutes. So you got to really like mm-hmm. cram everything in, but it's so subdued and, and subtle, but also very, you know, deep as they're going through uh, this whole thing. So it was really, the, the dialogue was great and, there's so little of it too. Like I went back through and checked and I was like, it really does. There's maybe only a third of the episode is dialogue, but Mm -hmm. everything that's spoken is so important all the way along. And I love that my my four-year-old picked up on the face paint too, because he, he, Mm -hmm. they get up to the top and he's like, they have white stuff all over them. Why do they have white stuff all over Mm -hmm. them? And we're like trying to explain to him, you know, like ritualistic face paint and stuff. And my wife made the, made the point that it's kind of like birds, right? Birds paint themselves to, to, to be attractive to their mates. And he's like, but they're not birds. (laughs) So (laughs) I think, I I think he understood by the, (laughs) but he was really, yeah, he was really upset by the fact that they had white stuff all over their face. It's like, it's okay, kid. That's, that's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. It was kind of like this altered platform almost mm-hmm. that he kind of sets her down on. And then I took note of them. What they actually said was, we are the sky, we are the forest, we are the river. And so there you get those elements of wind, earth, and water, right? Mm-hmm. Sky, forest, river. Um, and then when they are speaking together, they say, we are one, Majina, may you rise. Um, 
I couldn't find maybe where that word Majina came from. Um, I'm sure there's many different uh, influences for how they came up with that word. But yeah, I agree. I think a lot of times when we look at Star Wars storytelling, um, memory is very much a part of Mm -hmm. uh, the legacy of Star Wars but also this idea that wherever you go in the galaxy, that there are people who have a relationship with the force in a different way and they mm. call it by a different name. And so that was kind of my interpretation was that their relationship with the planet um, was so unique and strong that they called this force thing that they understood as Majina. So mm. That was kind of my interpretation of that. Yeah, well, and I think they address that a couple of times in, in different ways through the episode, because right here we see this kind of blue emanation from them when they begin, when they when they say we are one and the blue emanation comes out and then the Padawan reacts to it. And she's mm-hmm. she's very surprised that suddenly there is something happening. And um, later on, and we'll, and we'll get to this later, I'm sure, but the, the bride uh, sees her floating rock using her force powers and asks her very specifically, so you can sense the Magina too. And mm-hmm. and she is very diplomatic about the way she responds to her, not trying to say, well, it's actually this thing. You know, she doesn't try to explain herself or anything. She just, she agrees and kind of runs with what they're talking about. And I, mm-hmm. I like the I like the way that all of that's approached because it's really... You get the sense that a good Jedi is not going to come in and like try and scold the locals for not understanding <laughs> things because there's just I mean there's no way that you couldn't have everybody be affected by this this force that permeates everything, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I could I couldn't help but think about, you know, as a Catholic, I couldn't help but think about like interreligious dialogue, which I've been a part of um over the last like, I don't know. 15 years or so, um, when I started in college, like with that interest, um, and that is, you know, something that you do is like, there are a lot of, uh, similar experiences that we all have as human Mm -hmm. beings. And so to be able to start from that point is always important in order to kind of build bridges of understanding with people that have a different culture from you have different, maybe, you know, look or perspective on life. Um, and on higher powers and beings and stuff. Uh, so yeah, I, I also thought about that too. Um, one of the neat things that I liked about the memory, the planet's memories was, um, that the memory that we started with was the two of them with, I think, Haru's sister, right. um, and they're putting stones in the river and later on, that will be right brought mm-hmm. up by the Padawan now turned Jedi, right? That she talks about that. Um, so I thought that was that was neat. But just this concept of being so close to the Earth, and then we see the memory of the destruction, mm-hmm. right? Of like the horizon just collapsing, and all of that kind of rubble and smoke sort of leading us back up to the bride and groom so it was like it was beautiful and and tragic in a way um especially once you get to know the rest of the story 
And then we, we see the perspective of the outsiders again, where it goes back to uh, the Jedi and her uh, and her and the Explorer. And he's telling her that there's a village nearby and that um, they should go. And <laughs> you know that he's leading her around to try and get her to do something like even at this point, you already <laughs> yeah. know that that's kind of what he's what he's doing is he's. He's trying mm-hmm. trying to convince her that she needs to do something, and um, that. But she's along for the ride. She's she's not she's not telling him no. I'm out of here. You know, like she's she's not done mm-hmm. with it yet. And uh, is it at this point? No, it's it's when they're at the dinner that he mentions that there was someone else that came from here, right? Um, actually, it was at this point. It was at this that, point. Okay. Um, yeah, because. Uh, she says, is that what, is that what you wanted to show me? And he says, only because an old friend of ours had roots on this planet. Right. And that's when she has her first kind of like flashback. Right. My master. And it's, yeah. And it's just really, and and then we start to get a placement of where everything is. And so that's when they go mm-hmm. back to the village and they're having the dinner, we, we start hearing the story of how the, uh, the, oh, lost my word. Uh, <laughs> the Federation uh, groups had had stripped oh, the separatists, the separatists yes. had stripped mined the planet and taken all the resources basically, and they um so they were without you know so we get a context of time you know so that's something we've talked about mm-hmm. with a couple of these other episodes is where does yeah. it fit in the timeline and this one actually does have a very specific timeline and it's related to you know how the how, how the Jedi fell at the end of the the Clone Wars. And we we see maybe a Padawan that escaped, and what that effect, what the effect on their life might have been, and mm-hmm. um, you know, so we're starting to build into the larger lore, which I think is really cool. Like having having come in from Star Wars, you know, safe Star Wars opening scene, introduction to the local planet, we've veered away from what Star Wars is. So there's more than just Jedi who are Force users. And now we're coming back to, okay, but inside the Star Wars universe, this is still uh, something that we have to deal with because it's mm-hmm. affected everything. Like they say, you know, the war uh, is lost. That's that's all it is. Mm, yeah, that was a beautiful line. And it gives us also a sense that she, this Padawan, has been in hiding. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of got that sense at the beginning where... He tells her the emperor, the empire's eyes won't find you here, but we really understand that she's been through some kind of, you know, she's lost her master. And so she's wearing a mask, you know, she's got her hood on. She's, she doesn't want anybody to know where she is. So she is in hiding. Um, and I think that's important because later on she won't be. <laughs> right. Um, but one of the things I wanted to mention before we go on is that there they actually, the bride and the groom, they come back to the village by way of passing through this place where they see the sunset. And that was actually, that struck me as very important because mm. for the Japanese, the sun is so, so important. Um, if you look at the Japanese flag, it's literally a red sun. Right. And, um, and yes, there has been tons of controversy about the rising sun that's a whole different flag uh the rising sun flag of japan um which stands for militarism um so i thought it was interesting that we saw a setting sun here um 
and instead of the rising sun, which stands for the, you know, the conquering of the imperialism, basically, of Japan. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so we were talking about um, this idea of the humility, the fragility of humankind, mm. because the bride speaks about how the sun rises and sets before long before we were born it's been doing this and long after we're gone it will continue to do that i thought it was interesting that the the groom in response says maybe maybe that's what will mm -hmm. happen like long after we're gone right and it almost makes you wonder like does he does he doubt the um the fact that they're going to be gone um the fact that the uh raiders have done so much destruction to the planet the separatists have done so much destruction to the planet that maybe just everything is ending maybe there's so much destruction that he can't possibly imagine mm. that things will continue to go on as they always have been um that is there so much change um and very in the when we get to the the wedding dinner scene, I'll just bring this up now because it's relevant. We find out that the bride's name is Haru and Haru means spring. Mm -hmm. I've always thought once I heard that, um, a, like a year ago or so, I learned that I understood, um, just how beautiful it was, but also it's, it's concept of re renewal and mm -hmm. a new beginning. And so I thought it was interesting that you have the bride be someone who is kind of representative of this new beginning where she is trying to give her people a, a new ch a chance, right? right. Um, to, to have a new beginning. Whereas the, the groom seems like he just, he doesn't know if there really can be a new beginning. Right. So that's kind of all that was going in my yeah. mind with just this one scene. No, and, and it's a great scene because um, two, you also have there the, the thought that, these are things that were constant, right? As a kid, you look at the mountains and it's like, these things are, they've been here forever. They'll be here long after you like you, you, even as a kid, you understand that those things are going to outlive you. And that's not the case where they are. The, the mountains themselves have been stripped away. This planet has been completely uh, ruined where even what's left is still looks like a beautiful paradise. Uh, it's, but it's been stripped of everything that's, that's usable by the people. Um, and, and for a people that are so in touch with nature, that's just got to be so damaging and just it, it, like, where do you go from there? You know, how, how is it that uh, somebody from somewhere else could come in and so completely ruin our planet and then just leave? And, and that was the 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 sentient beings were doing that it wasn't a force of nature it wasn't like a you know it wasn't a chaos or unexplainable or just uh providence or fate it was someone did that purposefully and that and for him to feel that you know that's you get all of that kind of wrapped up in this in this package of of who these characters are and as we learn more about the jedi too you you see that same thing where she it, it, she's been betrayed by the people that she trusted the most and knowing the context there is so important because it's good. We get these little cut scenes of her life, but we know what order 66 did and what that would have been like for a Padawan because we've seen the effects on other characters that we really like that lived through that event. Yeah. 
So it, it, that's see, that's one of the things that I think makes this episode one of my favorites or my favorite because of just the concept of how they're telling the story, right? Um, that they're telling the story in these ways where they are showing mm-hmm. more than they are telling. Yeah, it's it. They really they they have such a good understanding of how to compress this information so well, <laughs> and it really is. It's so beautiful, and it's all imagery that's Star Wars imagery, right? Like the this the rising and setting sun. That's very much Star Wars imagery. It's, it comes from the very mm-hmm. first movie with Luke sitting there watching the twin suns set, and and the the foreshadowing that even that simple image has because. We don't know it yet, but as we find out in that series, you know, he is a twin and there is another. And when you go back and watch them for the artistry that they had, because I think that's something that Lucas gets a lot of flack for being, you know, kind of a two bit. Uh, it's it's sci fi. You, you hear so many people say it's a kids movie. It's sci fi. But there's so much great symbolism in it mm-hmm. and it's so dense that when you do go back with a really critical literary eye it it there is a lot there to unpack that it, you know you can say it's unintentional all you want but lucas knew what he was doing when he started and as he went through and developed more he would go back through i'm sure and watch his movies that he he said and and, and say oh well this is a good good thing for me to attach to this thing that came before and it's just beautiful to watch that happen. And then to see somebody who really gets that and puts it into another format like this is so fantastic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so then we go through this, um, go through this wedding scene where we we're seeing well, this feast scene where we see that uh, we we get the story kind of told from this explorer's perspective. So it seems like maybe he's been here for a while. He's gotten to know the people he's gotten involved in their lives and understands what's happening. And he's just trying to explain it to the Padawan who's who's with him. And um, it turns out that the separatists came in, they stripped the resources, and then they left. But they also left a bunch of droids. And these droids have become a force for the bandits, which is very classic Japanese theme, right? Mm-hmm. Of the, the warlords leave, but they're still warriors left and those warriors become bandits because they're the ones with weapons and they can you know they can demand things from the villagers who can't defend themselves and that's exactly what's happened here is these bandits move in they take the droids reprogram them and make an army of their own they've come in they've they've taken the rest of what these people had left to them and they wanted to demand the 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 leader as a, as collateral because they're, they're going to take him, I guess, and just kind of keep exploiting these people to, to make sure that they yeah. didn't, uh, that they didn't come after them or, or fight back. Uh, and instead the, the granddaughter offers herself in place. And that's where we find out this whole setting is, is that she's being married because she wouldn't have a chance to do that since she's being sent off. And we get so much more depth to that relationship between her and the groom that, uh, the two of them are are doing this because they're childhood sweethearts. They want to make this official. And then he's even offered to go with her. He, he refuses to stay behind. So he's going to go with her as part of this sacrifice to these bandits. 
and all of this is just over sake, right? <laughs> it's just over over a drink. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's so great because that's kind of the that's another sort of theme that you get is like the samurai goes to the to the local bar and he's drinking and while he's drinking he's just listening to the stories and he's willing to turn mm. that ear to hear the people and learn uh what they are, what they're saying and what they're about. So Thomas, I have to ask you, um, in your consumption of anime and Japanese um, movies is this like a common um trope that the young person kind of offers themselves um for in the place of their father or or grandfather or something like that because i you know i have very limited knowledge so all i thought of was like oh mulan you right. know like mulan <laughs> went in her father's place and well yeah actually actually no this is most of the time what you'll find is that um the the young person is stuck in a position where they have to care for the old person and so mm. you'll have uh, someone sick at home. And, and I think, so we go back to the duel, right? Uh, that was a really great example of a, a typical uh, parent child relationship that the child is forced and, and which kind of works here too, right? They're, they're forced to step into a responsibility that they were not prepared for because they honor their, uh, their elder and won't allow mm -hmm. them to go through the, the humiliation or the suffering that would be theirs if the younger mm -hmm. person didn't step in and that's a very common uh trope in, in in a lot of eastern uh art so you, mm -hmm. you do have the, the chinese and the japanese both but but most of them that because there is such a care for the older generation the confucian ideal right yeah of, yeah um the hierarchy of uh yeah of society exactly right? and so it, and that, and i think that that's something that um I don't know about your experience, but my experience personally is that that's something that we're coming to terms with in the West a lot, too, because as people are getting older, we're finding that we can't just, you know, put them in a nursing home or send them off to Sun City and, you know, the, the over 50s community and let them live out the rest of their life. And they'll be fine because that's really not the case anymore, because medical expenses are what they are and because uh, people are living longer, but they're also having more medical issues that they have to deal with. It's um, we're having to step into that role, too, now where we're having to really uh, take on responsibilities that maybe we weren't ready for. And, you know, we're used to our parents being able to provide for us. But now we're the ones that are becoming the providers and having to take care of their houses and make sure that we're watching out for them and for their medical issues. And um, I think it's good for us to start getting those messages in because we need to be mm. we need to be responsible for that generation. You know, not only the, not only raising our children, but also uh, that generation that came before us as they are living longer and finding that they need more help in that, mm -hmm. that we can step into that yeah. role. No, that's very true, actually. Um, in the full time work that I do in a Catholic apostolate, we um, our archbishop a few years ago. Um, asked us to start a conference for seniors um, to remind them of how valuable they are to society. Um, and Pope Francis has really kind of led the way with a lot of that messaging of um, in his homilies and his messages, talking to the elderly and also saying that if we want to create a culture where every person is valued, we have to value the elder uh, generation and to listen to them mm. um, and their wisdom. And that's definitely something that uh, those who live 
in the quote unquote East, you know, of, of this planet can really, I think, teach us a little bit more about here in the West. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. And so, um, yes, yeah, so I, th I think to your, to your point, you know, about this, it, it does loosely fit that, that concept of stepping into a responsibility that maybe you're not ready for. And because you care about that person and you want them to be safe. And then also the village issue here where she's, she's doing this, not just for her grandfather, but also for all of the people, because, uh, she feels a responsibility to them and, and the greater good that that would come from her, her an individual sacrificing herself for their peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was, um, that was definitely like the big revelation at the, the dinner. Um, and I really liked the concept of the sister Saku being just upset at the fact that her sister's wedding was almost like a funeral in mm -hmm. a way. Um, and that she didn't, she, she was the sister who said, no, I want to fight. It reminded me of me and my sister. Like <laughs> I'm the one who's like, you know, I'll take the blame or the responsibility or whatever. And my sister's like the spunky one, like, no, we're going to fight. So, um, I related to that, but, uh, it was also kind of, I think very star Wars too, because it was this sense of like, do we give in to what is the established, you know, the ruling powers, like what they want just kind of to appease them? Or do we start a rebellion, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, definitely. And that's I, I, I like the the color imagery was really good, too, because uh, they all everybody you, you didn't notice until the sister took off her scarf and threw it on the ground. And all of her friends followed suit that everybody at the party was wearing this like red scarf to to mm -hmm. denote the celebration and um just like again such a simple thing that you didn't give any credit to until that moment and then all of a sudden you realize oh no everybody at the party has does have one of those things on and so that must be significant and it, it just we don't need to explain it any more than that that was it that mm -hmm. said this was a ceremonial thing i'm throwing this on the ground because i i'm upset and i'm leaving and um mm -hmm. You know, it was it, it was a great moment for her to do that. And then I love the the turn of that is that it goes kind of back to the Jedi and her and her explorer friend. And she's like, OK, I, I, I see what you're trying to get me to do here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and she's you, you can see the resistance falling in her for it. Right. Like she's she's understanding more what what he's asking of her and is becoming more accepting of it as well. Right. And she's like, again, she's in hiding. Like mm -hmm. she even just wonders like, oh, I don't know if it's right for me to be here, you know, like in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's he's telling her like, no, like it's you've got to be part of this because otherwise there's a curse. You know, you've mm -hmm. got to be the the love, the, the the giving has to be shared. That's kind of, you know, how so many different villages, you know, even today, like you have a wedding in Palestine. I know like everybody is, I mean, even if you're just visiting for a day, it's like, Oh, you're going to be part of this. Right. You know? <laughs> we're going to be, we're going to party. So yeah. But she wants to, the, the Padawan, she, Padawan wants to hide. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then we're suddenly getting this tension of, 
you know, in um, Joseph Campbell's, you know, hero's journey, right? right? She's coming to this point where there's crossroads where she, she says, no, like, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> this is not what I'm, I'm gonna, not going to take up the challenge. But, um, you know, she has this wise sage, which is also part of Joseph Campbell's, right. you know, um, and he's like, well, you know, I'll, I don't, I don't really care about your little code. Right? <laughs> Why should I pretend to care? Um, so it's almost like he's kind of passive aggressively saying like, oh, but you care, right? Mm -hmm. Like you do care about what's going to happen to these people. So that's why then we see her like almost meditating, I guess, like as she's uh, with the force, with that rock right. in, in the forest. Yeah. And yeah, and that scene's that scene coming back to that scene where the she is she's meditating and holding up this rock. And then the bride walks in, Haru walks in and, and says, oh, so you feel the memory too. And uh, she and she just takes it in stride and turns to her and speaks that same in that same terminology. It's just if you can if you can feel it, then, you know, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. And so she tries to figure out where where Haru's standing, like where Haru is feeling all of this stuff and what she's feeling called to but she's also feeling something herself like she's feeling something is wrong and unsettled and that she does have to do something like she can't just be a bystander uh but you know she would rather them do it if they can because it's kind of their thing and then haru responds that she, she has to do this for the village and then it's better for the village and then she'll uh besides she won't be alone she's gonna have uh her husband with her and and so and that's how they end they just like very quickly walk through it's not even a long conversation but it's enough to push the padawan into that into that decision where she decides that she's not going to hide anymore that she's done with the hiding and um yeah I, uh, some people might not know the significance of this but i i think it's really important to to broach it the the hair braid uh mm -hmm. is a padawan feature so if if you don't know this, um, that that's something that the Padawans have to wear. They have to wear that hair braid until they get to the point where they are going to become a Jedi and they've passed their test to become a full fledged Jedi. And that scene where she cuts the the braid away and also drops the mask is so powerful because mm -hmm. it's her. At first, I thought it was going to be her refusing to be a Jedi, right? And, and giving up the Jedi. But then we get the next scene where she says that she is a Jedi and mm -hmm. and embraces fully both those things. And so it's like she's accepting who she is and that the trial that she's gone through is enough for her to be able to claim that title. And the second watch through, that was just it gave me chills watching her mm. watching her do that and drop the mask and then cut the and cut the braid. It was so awesome <laughs> so powerful yeah um gosh so many thoughts so real quick in the forest again you know for her to be in the forest is actually symbolically very important because um joseph campbell and carl young also um they created this basically catalog of like all the different mythos uh, from across the world and one of the things that is um, apparently very consistent is that when a character's in a forest, it is like um, they are tapping into their subconscious. Mm -hmm. And so 
we get this, you know, meditating in the forest is very important. When you think about Star Wars, you think about Luke training on Dagobah with all these trees and his big trial is like in this tree, right? Mm-hmm. And so he that's where he faces himself and his greatest fears, right? And we see that with this Padawan, that she also has this another vision of losing her master. Right. And almost like maybe it's the death of her master or something. And so that is when we see that happen. As you said, she cuts off the braid and she drops her mask and... So it's like she has confronted maybe the fear, uh, fears that she had from losing her master, um, that wanting to hide, you know, so she's lost the mask. We've talked about masks so much, I feel like, in these last few episodes. So, yeah, it's like this turning point for her and, um, you know, going into the next scene, um, just the sense of again, remembering, right? Like that whole memory concept where if you think about the role of memory in our lives, it's like, it's not just about something that happened that you kind of recall, right? But even in our Catholic theology, there's this idea of entering into a moment Mm -hmm. that, um, yes, has happened in the past, but it is also present again, mysteriously, to us now and this idea that memory um can be transformative right that we can enter into memories not only as like oh yeah that was nice or that was bad or whatever but this concept of allowing memory to transform us Mm -hmm. so that we with our will we make a choice right to have power over our, you know, our, our trajectory, (laughs) I guess you could say our Mm -hmm. story, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's that difference between something being faded and, uh, and embracing our destiny. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and those are two different statements, like embracing your destiny is kind of, uh, is more about who you are and, and embracing who you are in the moment that you find yourself in. And something being faded is more about, I don't have any control over this. It's just, I, I have to follow a path because it's what's set in front of me. And those, right. those two things are very different. And you, you see in this character that she realizes in this moment that, that what she is, everything that's built up to where she is now doesn't remove her from responsibility for doing something but actually moves her to be responsible to do something. And Mm -hmm. it's such a dramatic change in who she is. And, you know, the mask is obviously like it's metaphoric, right? Because it's, it's covering who she is. It's hiding who she is. And now she's taking it off and becoming who she really is. Um, Mm. And, and the, the sage character that she has is so cool because he wears this bucket on his head, right? At the very beginning, like he's <laughs> yeah. got a bucket on his head, literally, uh, literally covering his entire face and uh, talks to her mo- most intimately when the mask is off. Um, and and it's, it's such a great, like everything just builds so well through this moment. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we step into the next day and we see that 
everything's in place the the way it's supposed to be that the bride and groom are, are being brought out to uh the the bandits who have come down with their army and this uh, interestingly this is the first quote unquote alien that we see in this episode yeah. so everybody else has been some version of human uh up to this point and we see two aliens get off one's this, this kind of cyclops character and the other's a twilik and uh, so th- and that's that's it for the whole episode. Unless you want to call the bandit mm-hmm. leader also uh, an alien figure too, which is possible. Um, but and that's it. That's those are the only alien alien characters that we get. Um, there might have been one at the dinner. I think. oh, you're right. There may have been one. There may have been like a like a fuzzy looking guy. I think you're right. Kind of like a hedgehog looking guy or something. Yeah, I don't remember exactly, but yeah. I want to say yeah. That's but it true. was very limited, right? In this. Yeah, it was episode. it was it was a a community of people, and they were being kind of it, it, taken from the outside by these by these bandits who had taken advantage of the what the separatists had left on the planet, and um, it's your typical hostage turnover situation, and obviously the bad guy's going to throw a twist in there, and it is that he finds uh the he finds. Well, I, well, no, we missed the scene. I, I missed talking about the scene where they're, it's, it's Haru and, and the groom and they're sitting there and they are in front of a table and he picks up a blade. Mm-hmm. And, and did you notice that on that table, there was a thermal detonator as well? It, mm-hmm. So it was, No, I didn't uh, notice see, that. So, yeah. so the thermal detonator was on that table in front of them when, when he picks up the blade and he puts it back down, there is that same thermal detonator that ends up in this scene was there. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder almost if he was trying to keep them from being able to go as well and there's like there's a, a look that passes between them at this moment too right so again so oh, that was like so many as a married person even in animation it's like i know that look <laughs> yeah. that's the look where it's like honey you're not gonna do that right because we said we weren't gonna do that right yes. and he's like no we're not <laughs> i'm with you yeah but you know like as a as a husband he wanted to think about is there a possibility? Mm-hmm. Like, could I keep this from happening? Right. Um, so, yeah, I found that very relatable. I just loved that little scene. Oh, it was, it was great. It was really like it, it made it made perfect sense. You're right. As a married person, I've been there. I've been <laughs> on the other end of that look as well. <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> you're right. This, this is the way we're going to do it. Uh, and then there's other times where I've been on the other side of that look and go, no, I'm going to do it this way. <laughs> this is... This is the way that I feel like is the best way right now. So, um, you know, and that's, I think both of those are, are definitely kind of the situation that you find yourself in as a married couple. You do disagree and you, you make the best of the situation for the other person that you can. And that's, that's, I think really the important part here is that you don't get the sense that he's trying to weasel out of him it for himself because he Mm -hmm. he can very easily just say, I'm not going with you. You know, I have have no, I have no reason to go with you. But what he wants to do is keep her safe and and not just in a jealous sense, but in a, in a she doesn't belong with them. She he wants to keep her safe. And so he agrees with her sister that they need to that they need to fight back. And we see that that all goes south, unfortunately. And the sister mm-hmm. is brought out and the thermal detonators passed over to the leader of the bandits. And the the leader decides that this is the the problem, and so he pulls out his gun in order. He pulls out his pistol in order to shoot her, and everything happens really fast. And we get that blinding flash of light, and that moment where we don't know what really happened, 
and then the pad one appears mask off hand out stops the bolt everything's frozen in time and that's so awesome it's such an awesome <laughs> moment <laughs> yeah um okay so when she says i am jedi right <laughs> so i i first watched this in japanese as you said and so she says watashi wa jedi um for me that was like wow because um so when I was like a teenager and I listened to Christian rock music, um, there was this album called Watashi Wa. And it wasn't Japanese language, but it was the idea of I am who am mm-hmm. um, from the name of God. And so um, the idea of, you know, her saying those words was like hit me a little bit more. You know, this idea of like, I am Jedi um just the the claiming of the identity in those words um was very special to me but then also it reminded me so much of um the stories of you know um Aomer in um in Lord right. of the Rings where she says I, I am, am no man <laughs> no man yes right and so um yeah it was very it was very similar to that and there's been other you know situations with that as well, Ahsoka saying, I am no Jedi. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I loved this moment because it was so, it, it, it told you the story of this character so fully. And it mm. and it was done in that just great, like, you know, pan and zoom in style where it's kind of <laughs> distant shot and then pushed really close up to the character so that they can get their, their word in. And, um, and she says that and then, uh, you know, she throws the bolt back at the bandit leader and then walks past them and gives Haru the 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 statement that you were saying about the the stones in the river. And it's it's so poetic and also mm-hmm. so fitting because it's it, it's an acknowledgement of the memory that she's seen, that she knows yeah. what they were responding to and where they were in their marriage and in the what has found them at the place. But then uh she just lets them know i know you like i i know who you are and i'm i'm not here to take anything from you in this moment but i do have a responsibility right now Hmm. yeah and i think also too it spoke to me of where she had come in her meditation because i actually wrote it down so she says you can't change the river's flow by casting a stone but live in harmony with nature and you'll change together um so it was almost like if you 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 can't change the way that things are happening just by putting in one rock right um so this idea of how she was trying to just kind of hide away and just sort of like i don't know I, I hope we learn more about this character right. because I really want to know what, what her life was like and what she was up to. But I get the sense that, you know, she she realized that you have to be one with the force and the force would want, you know, would not want the continuous destruction of this planet, of these people, of the resources that the force would um, ultimately will for the good of the people mm-hmm. and the planet. And so she being a Jedi realized that 
in order to be one with the will of the force that she had to um, not just cast a stone, but to live with in harmony with nature. Mm -hmm. And she says, and you'll change together. So she ended up changing who, who she ultimately saw herself as, um, as a true Jedi Knight by, um, by making this choice. Right. Right. So that was really beautiful. And um, also just this concept of um, the people of this world know that well. She says, you know that the breath of life becomes wind and will always respond. I felt like perhaps in the Japanese, it would have been that particular phrase would have been a little bit more meaningful. So if any of you do speak Japanese and you know what the original, you know, maybe the nuances of that. Um, but this idea that, you know, whatever we do, our breath, that it becomes part of the wind, um, it ultimately, everything that we say, every, every breath that we take, um, you know, no, no police puns, um, (laughs) you know, but, (laughs) but this idea that we make, uh, whatever we do makes a difference and then it will come back to us, right? This, uh, this concept of, um, you know, uh, chi and the concept of, I think, karma that, you know, the, the Eastern philosophies have, right. I think that that was kind of what that was trying to express, but I think Mm -hmm. in our Christian understanding, just the idea that, um, we are part of this world and that we are all members of, right. This corporate body of humanity that is created in God's image. And so, whatever we say or do like is either going to give glory to God and to be the image of God in this world or not. And ultimately that's going to affect us Mm -hmm. because we are part of this. We are, you know, we're one body in Christ. We are, you know, um, even, you know, in the gospel, Jesus says we, the judgment of nations, right? The, the, the nations will be, you know, lamb or goats. And, and so we're, there's a corporate understanding of what we do and our responsibility, right. Mm -hmm. Ultimately. So, um, so that was just kind of like a little reflection on that, but it was, it was poetic. It was very meaningful. And I love that they put that in there because it, um, it is so like Japanese, but it is also so Star Wars mm-hmm. and just so like spiritual, like the force, you know, something a Jedi would say. Um, I just I thought it was just perfect. And I love that she attaches the two uh, kind of mantras. Right. So she attaches the awaken Majina and also uh, may the force be with you. And she just mm-hmm. she puts those two together because they are that equal significance to her at this point she understands mm. that um like I, I don't think there's anything in her that would have said that she was she understood the force better than these people but i i think that she sees the value of both of those things where maybe before she was trying to distance herself from them now she's mm. fully embracing them uh because she's seen what it can do and how a person can follow the wrong path while trying to do the right thing and she's seeing that and like putting both it's it was yeah just this whole scene was so great (laughs) it was so good and then she kind of pauses there and everything stops for a moment 
and the the bandit leader says you know to his men why what are you why are you just standing there get them and they all raise their guns to start firing and then a green blaster bolt comes in from from somewhere off in the distance and knocks one of the droids heads off and then a few more <laughs> and the, the <laughs> droids live up to their their droidiness 100 percent during this scene. roger roger <laughs> roger roger <laughs> And and all of them turn around and miss, like just firing it and all of the bolts firing up at the at the hill and none of them can hit the guy. Um, yeah. And, and so it's, we get this great, like deep, awesome, uh, you know, poetic moment. And then the comedy kind of comes in to, to push us sideways a little bit. And even in that, though, the 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 explorer, uh, he seems very intent and he uh does it's very anime thing like right he's got this secret weapon then he pulls the the helmet off and we're wondering what he's doing and he throws it down in the middle of the droids and they're all staring at it trying to figure out what it's going to do and then it flies off into the ship and blows the whole thing up <laughs> <laughs> and it was great that was all all that was just really yeah 100 <laughs> percent. and my, my my kids pointed out though they were really excited that he got a new helmet back at the end of the episode oh yes <laughs> Because they were like, oh, look, he got a new one. And I had not even thought, had thought, had not even crossed my mind that the first one probably was destroyed in the explosion. <laughs> yeah, it was more of like a hat, though, like at the end, like, I don't know. I, to me, it was almost like um, through this whole thing, he had kind of been like the droid character mm -hmm. that we really didn't get very much of um we got i mean a couple of droids like server server droids in the wedding wedding feast and um there was a out of commission probe droid um that that was passed by on the way up the mountain but yeah it was almost like he was sort of like the the companion droid character right. but also the 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 wise wizard character at the same time um so that was neat and and but he lost that sort of like um sidekick explorer not really part of this planet like identity almost by like getting rid of that helmet mm -hmm. and then at the end we sort of see him as like he's he really is like part of the crowd like right. he's he's there that's where he belongs so that was kind of neat too yeah he's fully yeah. embraced the people and become a part of uh a part of their culture mm -hmm. so, yeah and then um and then we get this is this is a huge statement, but it is absolutely true. This is my absolute favorite lightsaber ever. Mm, wow. I, I was, I, I, I love, <laughs> I love the thin bladed lightsabers. I love the thin bladed katana lightsabers, but this one was uh -huh. next level because when she clicks it on, the tsuba pops up, the little handguard thing. And uh -huh. rather than being like a goofy Kylo Ren kind of stuff shooting out the sides <laughs> or anything like that, uh, it's just this like disc inside of the lightsaber before the whole thing lights up. And I just about lost it. That was <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> that was such an awesome lightsaber. <laughs> it was definitely. And uh, it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> And so the bandit leader takes Haru uh, prisoner because he's going to escape with her. And we get the, the awesome lightsaber light up scene and then the standoff, which is probably one of my favorite, uh, you know, Japanese uh, film moments where there's uh, the two, you know, the high noon. It's it's we, we get it in the, in, mm -hmm. in the spaghetti westerns, yeah. you get it as the high noon. Uh, you know, they're standing there with their guns at the ready and we know who's going to win obviously because it's a, it's a Jedi and a non-Jedi. So it's not like there's 
really, but there's still that moment of like, well, I don't know. She's really far away from him. What exactly is she going to do with a lightsaber? (laughs) And then her shoes click open. (laughs) You're like, oh boy. (laughs) I was like, wait, okay. How does this work? Are they boosters? Like, what are we going to see? But actually the, the genius of it is that we don't see. Right. Exactly. (laughs) We're left to, we're left to make it up on our own. And that was yeah. so brilliant because it's like, <laughs> we don't need to know. You don't need to know what happened here. It's just, she has awesome shoes. Just trust us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so we see her, like she, uh, she like over, she passes him so much, like the force of what she actually does, whatever she does, she over, you know, extends like way past him and then you see his limb has been severed, which, of course... Very Star Wars. Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) What would Star Wars be without a severed limb? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it was was really amazing. That's why, I mean, I want to know so much more about this character. Like, where did she get that lightsaber? How does it work? What's the kyber crystal like? What's the story? Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and not even that. Just don't stop here. Like, this is the beginning of an incredible tale of who this person, like, why does she leave the planet at this point? You know, she's she's got something else that she needs to do. And Mm -hmm. that's the only reason that she gets on a ship and and heads off. So what is it that she's going to do? I really want to (laughs) know. Yeah. Yeah, and then the the closing scenes are all great, where it's like this kind of like you know uh, celebration throne of the people, and they're reclaiming who they are. So it's that um, the Ewoks playing music, and yes, you know, kind of closing scene, and it's really yep, no. yeah, <laughs> and it's and it's so great. Like it's it really does. It gives you all of the the closure you need for the episode, which again, eighteen minutes, very cram packed, full of. Awesomeness mm-hmm. and didn't feel like it was rushed at all. No, I felt like I got to take my time learning about the characters. I mean, there's so much more that you want to know, but you get to understand their relationship with each other, their relationship with the planet, the mythos, the spirituality of the people, the you know the the backstory of the Padawan. Um, I mean, gosh, you know, so much um, that is packed in. And, you know, there wasn't like a whole lot of humor, I guess you could say, in this episode. There was like tiny little moments, like, I guess, with the the explorer guy kind of making these little quips here and there. But it wasn't really like, haha, laugh out loud right. um, moments, which I feel like that's OK, because um, because of the different tone that this particular episode set um it was i think much more spiritual than the other ones have been Mm -hmm. i would agree yeah yeah definitely yeah and not that you can't be spiritual and laugh and have humor (laughs) but uh there was definitely like a sacredness i think that this episode tried to respect um it was very quiet and in a good way like in a really good uh calm before the storm and then and the, and the the scene at the end, like even with with that, it's it feels like a fully fleshed out fight. It doesn't feel like it was really like like it happened as fast as it needed to happen. And it it didn't, you know, these guys they they had battle droids. It didn't mean that they were professionals. It just meant that they were able to reprogram <laughs> the battle droids, right? And so, yeah, you, you know they're gonna you know they're gonna lose once they go up against a Jedi. But seeing it play out is good, and seeing that that uh, you know the explorer guys involved with it. 
And we keep referring to them as this because we didn't get names for either of the main two characters, which is like, yeah, until the credits. <laughs> I want more of this which, Jedi. And then I was like, what does this mean? Her name is F. Right. I don't understand. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, you know, Disney, find these guys, get them involved and make a, an entire run of who this character is because it's awesome this is and, yeah. and that's i think the great part about it and i it, i feel like it added to star wars lore in a positive mm. way too because it takes that concept of uh local untrained uh force users and shows you that you know maybe it's not so much that they were jedi that had just been looked over or anything like that but they had a very specific use of the force. It wasn't that they mm-hmm. could use the force for just anything, but they had this ritualistic way of engaging with it. Maybe there was some sort of a node that would, that could have been a Jedi temple on this planet. Uh, but they used it in, in such a particular way that the Jedi were like, okay, nope, that's, you know, that's, we're not going to mess with that because that's their thing and that's their culture. And we're just going to leave them to do sure. that. Yeah. So, um, I think the only thing that we didn't touch on in my notes was we did get, I have a bad feeling about oh, this, yep. <laughs> but it was within that, again, that very like almost sacred conversation. And so it wasn't that haha moment. It was more of like, wow, that's probably the most serious that I have a bad feeling about this actually right. <laughs> has been delivered in all of Star Wars. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, no, that was I and, and that was that was one that I was waiting for, because I think a lot of these have done. The, <laughs> I have a bad feeling about this throwback, which is yeah. which is awesome. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. That it wasn't it wasn't a humorous moment in this one the way it has been in in some of the others. So that's good. Anything else that you wanted to bring up about this one? Uh, you know, there's uh, just read the credits and, you know, there's um, some folks that uh, did voice uh, work in this episode on the English track that um, have been part of Star Wars Resistance, the Clone Wars. Um, so Matthew Wood, Wood came back as the uh, the droids. And so we got that. Um and uh, yeah, so um, we always try to give a, a shout out to those folks and they did a, a great job as well. Definitely. Yeah, I thought it was, um, I, I love both uh, treatments of it too. And it's one of those things yeah. where you find a lot of times in anime, uh, the Japanese is in a lot of ways superior because the characters that you get are are different than the characters mm-hmm. that you get in the English. And in this one, you get a lot you get a more somber tone uh, from the Padawan. And I liked that. I liked the somber tone that came through uh, because she just, she just sounds curt in English. Whereas in, in the Japanese, (laughs) she just sounds like she's broody and contemplative. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And it Mm. works, it works better in the Japanese. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just hearing foreign language to hear that. But uh, (laughs) that's kind of what it kind of what it felt like to me. She's just like, yeah, I see what you're trying to do. Just get, you get a lot of that. Yeah. See what you're trying to do. See what you're trying to do. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but it was great. I I really enjoyed this. And we were talking before the show saying that the next episode is apparently audience rated even higher than this one. Yes. Um, so... Yeah, the, uh, the Ninth Jedi is apparently the... It's the highest rated out of all of them. And um, like this one, this one didn't do poorly... Uh, among the list but it's midway for them um and i we, I, we talked when we talked about the tattooing rhapsody that it 
scored the lowest out of all of them. Uh, so this one got a seven, six, I think in the audience rating out of, uh, the highest one is eight, seven. So I'm, I'm, I'm tr- looking forward to the next one with trepidation because I'm, I always, you know, <laughs> audience, uh, you know, they, they failed me on the tattooing Rhapsody because I really loved yeah. that one. I thought that one was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of wondering if like, I don't know, is this, a, is, did they just like it because it's like, cool <laughs> i don't know but uh my, we shall see yeah my, and my kids really like the art style in this one too they were mm, they yeah. really like the the way this one was put together and so they're going I, I think one of the fun things about this is that they're now learning the names of some anime uh production companies that they are going to go and mm. look up and and a lot of them i'll be honest i don't know because i'm I am an anime uh, consumer, but I am, you know, from my childhood and I just, since I've ha- yeah. had kids, I haven't been able to as much. So I don't know the names of some of these studios. And so it's good to kind of learn them and, and be brought up to speed on them myself. Yeah. All right. So um, that's it from us. Uh, listeners, what did you think of The Village Bride? Uh, please let us know. We'd love to hear your take on it. Be sure to email us or comment on our Facebook or Twitter page and uh, you can Email us feedback at, at Star Wars at sqpn.com, or you can find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media, or on Twitter at sqpn. Uh, we'd like to make uh, take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Wars, this week including John S., Jesse S., Ann T., Caleb P., and Michael M. Theot. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Wars and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Just a reminder also, you can get your own official Secrets of Star Wars t-shirt or coffee mugs or stickers or magnets uh, that encapsulates our philosophy of finding hope in a galaxy far, far away. They're available in various sizes and styles, and you can get them at sqpn.com slash merch. Uh, We have a new way to join the StarQuest fan club and the mailing list. You can text StarQuest to 66866. Every time I say that number, it's uh, text StarQuest, all one word, uh, to 66866. And be uh, just a reminder to be sure to share the show and uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and leave us a review. Uh, that's the best way to, for us uh, to know how you're feeling about how we're doing. And it also helps get us up to the top of that list. Uh, be sure to subscribe to anywhere that you can. Uh, and if you want to find any of the previous uh, Secrets of Star Wars episodes, you can visit sqpn.com slash Star Wars. And once again, just a reminder that next week we are going to be doing our Halloween special covering the Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales movie. So if you're watching like, like us, if you're holding off on watching these Visions episodes until uh, the week, you know, until the week before we do them, then we are not covering the next one yet. Uh, So until next time, uh, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Wars, Angela. Arigato gozaimasu. (laughs) You're getting better at that every time. (laughs) (laughs) I need to learn the response to it. I I used to know it, and it's (laughs) totally gone from my mind at this point. And once again, I'm Thomas Senhorho. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest.